Hi, Captain. All right. Hi, best friends. I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And today we will be discussing Hook, Line, and Sinker by Tessa Bailey. Yes, she's our queen. We love her. Um, So moving forward, we're actually going to do things a little differently. Um, So in some of our past episodes, we have recorded like a synopsis episode where you can get a gist of what the book is about and then listen to our part two. We have decided not to do that with our regular reads. We're still going to be doing synopses for the TLDR segments. Um, but really for our fun books, we encourage you to read it on your own. Um, that way, if you want to participate in the book club discussion, you can. Because it's really just, you're not going to get the same like feel for the book as you yeah. would as if we were reading it to you. Yeah, and we just feel like we whenever we summarize books that are like meant to be for more like fun entertainment purposes like we can never like do them justice yeah and we want you to enjoy these books as thoroughly as possible and to be able to like fully like participate in the actual book club discussion like that's the whole point of us starting this podcast and I think we kind of got a little too focused on trying to summarize the book so We just encourage you to like read it on your own. And then again, for those TLDR books, we will summarize those bad boys for you because that's That's what it's for. (laughs) That's what it's for. We read those so you don't have to. So we are going to be adding in some a couple new things to the segment later today um, that we're really excited about. But um, the podcast will just look a little bit different moving forward. So Mm -hmm. what we will kick off with, as always, is reading the back of the book. Um, so I'm actually going to have Caitlin do it because I don't have mine right in front of me. <laughs> I do. No worries. King Crab Fisherman Fox Thornton has a reputation as a sexy, carefree flirt. Everyone knows he's a guaranteed good time, in bed and out, and that's exactly how he prefers it. Until he meets Hannah Bellinger. She's immune to his charm and his good looks, but she seems to enjoy his personality and wants to be friends. Bizarre. But he likes her too much to risk a fling, so platonic pals it is. Now Hannah's in town for work, crashing in Fox's spare bedroom. She knows he's a notorious ladies' man, but they're definitely just friends. In fact, she's nursing a hopeless crush on a colleague, and Fox is just the person to help with her lackluster love life. Armed with a few tips from Westport's resident Casanova, Hannah sets out to catch her co-worker's eye. Yet the more time she spends with Fox, the more she wants him instead. As the line between friendship and flirtation begins to blur, Hannah can't deny she loves everything about Fox, but she refuses to be another notch on his bedpost. Living with his best friend should have been easy, except now she's walking around in a towel and sleeping right across the hall, and Fox is fantasizing about waking up next to her for the rest of his life, and, and, man overboard, he's fallen for her, hook, line, and sinker. Helping her flirt with another guy is pure torture, but maybe if Fox can tackle his inner demons and show Hannah he's all in, she'll choose him instead. That is such a long, like, back cover. It was like, that's the entire book right there. That is the whole book. (laughs) And also, I loved, like, the dramatics of, like... I did not realize, like, how detailed that was. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so there you go. We did do a synopsis. You're welcome. We didn't even, yeah, need to do a synopsis because Tessa (laughs) Bailey did it for us. So the first time, I've read this book a few times. Um, The first time I read it, I actually didn't like it. 
And that was because I think, I don't know, maybe I was just like getting in a weird headspace. Like you have to be in the right mood to read a rom-com, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, And so I felt like at times there was like some repetitiveness. And like, I think that really drew me away from the book. However, when I reread it again, I really, really enjoyed it. And I kind of got to see like how... Tessa Bailey straight away, I think, from some of the normal aspects of, like, a rom-com and, do- like, dove a little bit deeper into some, like, harder-to-talk-about topics. And so I really, really liked that aspect of the book. And so going back through, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. If you'd asked me the first time, it would have probably been, like, an 8. Yeah. Um, but I really, really did enjoy it. Oh, good. Yeah. And so I, like... I loved this the first time I read it. And for me, it's also a 10 out of 10. I liked this one better than it happened one summer. And I think the reason why is because, first of all, I was rooting for Fox and Hannah so hard in the first book anyway. Right. But like, I just, I really liked their dynamic even more than I liked the one between Piper and Brendan in the first book. And so I just, for me, like this one is my favorite of the two. It's a 10 out of 10. It was such a comforting, like, feel-good, warm fuzzies book for me. Yeah, and it, like, it didn't, like, scare me like some other rom-coms do. Like, (laughs) you have, like, the giant miscommunication with, like, 10 pages left of the book. Like, there was one, but it was very well done. And, like, it really... And they reacted like reasonable people. Yeah, it wasn't like some outlandish like thing that happened where they blow it out of proportion and leave forever type thing. It was, I don't know, it was really sweet. And I loved just how supportive like Hannah was towards Fox. And like, I love their love. I do too, because it's like, it's based on friendship. something. Yeah, friendship. And it's based on something a lot more like substantial than like what Piper and Brendan had, which like I'm not coming for the first book. I did love no. the first book, but it was I don't very love insta love. Yeah, same. So we'll kind of talk about some of the characters. Do you want to talk about Hannah first? Yeah. So Hannah, she is our leading lady, and if you haven't read it yet, that's an inside joke. <laughs> um. So Hannah is the younger sister of Piper, who we got to see quite a bit in the first book. And um, she definitely just acted as like the supporting second character. She was there strictly like help Piper you know realize her her true you know intentions and like what she was supposed to do and that was really cool of her but I loved seeing her in this aspect because she really kind of blossomed on her own so she started off definitely as you know kind of like the girl next door really unsuspecting type girl like no one really paid attention to her um and she definitely kind of gave us some unintentional pick me energy which is fine (laughs) um but like bookworm like listens to records like makes music her personality type thing but Mm -hmm. like it's genuine yeah she actually is that person (laughs) but yeah like she is the tumblr girl like blueprint she Mm -hmm. is what everybody wanted to be in the early 2000s yeah but effortlessly but yeah like (laughs) she just she did it on her own so we actually, like, after reading this, kind of compared this whole book to The Princess Diaries. Um, fucking slaps. <laughs> if you haven't seen The Princess Diaries, go watch it. Where there's have also, you been? There's multiple. Yeah. Bella, where the hell where have the you hell been? Where have you been, Loka? So she is your Mia Thermopolis. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, like, takes your 
ponytail down, glasses off, like, oh my God, I didn't even see you there type person. And she basically, she goes like this transformation, but it's a personality transformation. It's Mm -hmm. not like an actual physical one. Right. Um, Because she, I mean, just like she was always hot. It's just that like, she dresses in a way that's like more like quirky, like she wears ball caps and like like, shirts and yeah. And so like, whenever she does like dress herself up, like she is a hottie, a little hottie, but it's like, that's not, um, her most comfortable, like, um, presentation of herself like that's not what she's gonna wear on a daily basis and that's okay and that's okay girly but what I (laughs) loved most about Hannah is that she is such a dedicated friend like she like recognizes that Fox is you know dealing with a lot of trauma from his childhood and has a lot of stuff that he's working through and so like really makes it a goal to be there for him and to not push these boundaries that he's trying to push on her um even though she wants to like she recognizes that he needs help and that she wants to be the one to help him and I think that was my absolute favorite part about her was that she put aside like her wants and like ignored the um, bond that they definitely had and um, to make sure that he was you know becoming the best person he could be yeah because she really had like such a like like a love for him that went beyond her like physical attraction and chemistry with him like she wanted a genuine relationship with him and she was like well we aren't going to have that unless we like get Work to the through bottom this. of these insecurities <laughs> yes um so next, there's not a whole lot of characters in this book as far as like Im- like ones that m- matter to the story. But we'll talk a little bit about Sergei because Sergei is Hannah's crush that she had a crush on him in the first book as well. It's the dreamy, artistic director that she works with um, or producer, I guess. Is he a producer? Yeah. Director? Okay. I'm not sure. She works as like an assistant for him on set. I think but he's a he's director. Like a, he's the director. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like determining like the set and like yeah voices. Yeah. So he is like this dreamy man who has like a confidence about him, and he's um you know he's very sure of his decisions and his art. And Hannah really likes that about him, and she likes that he is like always kind of doing things that surprise people. Like she just thinks he is dreamy and so since we're on like this princess diaries like kick it's like he is the josh bryant of the book yeah she thinks she wants to be with him and like whenever she finally like gets the chance um and he's like hey i am into you i'd like to take you out she's like you know like this isn't really doing it for me just like mia when she kisses josh in the shed and she's like I couldn't, my foot didn't pop. Like it just, it wasn't it. There's no sparks anymore. Okay. So Sergei, obviously a Russian name. And he even <laughs> in the book, Tessa Bailey is like, yes, this man has a Russian accent. He is clearly Russian. But for some we reason. We somehow both pictured the same type of man and it was not a Russian. <laughs> so yes, for some reason, Tally and I both imagined a man with like dark hair, facial hair, and a more like um, olive tone, like deeper complexion. So Tabby and I, and also in my mind, he has like a Southern California accent of like a deep voice. Like he yeah, I'm not... like some like Silicon <clears throat> Valley type bro. 
Yeah, like he is not Russian to me. Like, absolutely no offense to Tessa Bailey, but you're wrong. He's not Russian. Um, so Tabby and I each had our own like fan cast in mind. And so for me, I had pictured him as Rahul Kohli, who is in a lot of like the Netflix originals, um, like the Haunting series and um, Midnight Mass. And he's a little cutie. You should look him up if you haven't. Um, and I picture Dev Patel and he is freaking adorable and I love him. Um, and like he definitely just gives off like this air of like I don't know like cockiness almost but um you may have known him from like Slumdog Millionaire is probably the one that he's like most popular in and then like Modern Love um he's in like a lot of rom-coms but yeah I love him and he's also just like this guy that like he's handsome and he just he looks more like I don't know like artsy and confident like I do not picture a Russian man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, no, he's like your typical him. like hipster. Yeah, like the the man I'm picturing has like at least a beard, like, if not a go-to. longer, like darker, like curly hair. Oh yeah, like, the hair's yeah. like messy. He has like these glasses that he wears sometimes, but like but he doesn't time, need them. Yeah, most of the time he's just like holding them with like the the like little earpiece like in his mouth while he's yeah. like you know using them to gesture at things, and that is Sergey to that me. That is yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so yeah, Sergey. I mean, he wasn't a bad character. Like he didn't do anything wrong. Like yeah. he was just. Hannah just outgrew her place, crush on him. time, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with Josh Bryant. Um, uh, well, there was. <laughs> he was kind of a douche in the movie. Josh Bryant was but... a little bit of a douche. But, you know, Sergei probably is a little bit too without trying. Yeah. Um, Josh Bryant, yeah, that's fair. He's, a little He's the one who, like, when rude. they were in, like, the changing room, he, like, made out with her so that they could take pictures of her, like, in her towel. Oh. I did forget about that part. Okay, so yeah, so, yeah he's kind of a dick. Bryant. Um, okay, so Sergey is not as bad as Josh Bryant. I feel like we're being a little harsh now. Yeah. Um, but the point is, it's like the wrong guy. Like, she had it wrong. That's not who she wanted to be with. Right. And then we have Fox. And I... I love Fox. Same. Um, there were times when, like I said, his internal monologue, like I got frustrated, but I think that's what was supposed to happen. Like mm-hmm. he was also frustrated. And so I think Tessa Bailey did a good job of like conveying that through um, his inner monologue. So he is our Michael Moskovitz mm-hmm. from Princess Diaries. He is the one who has always seen Hannah's like inner beauty and he knew all along exactly what she had to offer. And so when she finally does go to this through this transformation, he was just like, yeah, like I always knew you had it in you. Like I always yeah. knew exactly what your potential was. And I thought that was awesome. Like he is down so bad for her. And he has been since he met her because his first impression of her is like when she stood up to Brendan um, when Piper like accidentally caught dinner on fire. And so she was like taking on like this six foot four man and like, yeah. Quit bullying my sister. And Fox was like, God damn. Like, I'ma take her home. <laughs> <laughs> You're coming home with me. I'm a keeper. Um, uh, but yeah, he is definitely like 
a lot of his hesitations obviously are because Hannah is Piper's little sister and Brendan's his best friend. And I think that's what it started off with. But like, Mm -hmm. he immediately got over that. And he's just like, no, I'm not going to date her because I'm a bad person. And he's not, but he was flawed. But I do like that he acknowledged it. Yes, definitely. It just wasn't healthy the way he tried to like resolve it. He didn't have like the right coping mechanisms in place for sure. Um, Fox's family dynamic was so sad. Yeah. Um, his mom, like, I know Tessa Bailey was almost trying to make us, like, feel not sorry for her, but, like, empathize with her. But no, Mm -hmm. like, she's a bad mom. She is. (laughs) And I think she probably, like, was trying her best and, like, was dealing with her own, like, generational trauma. But, like, how terrible of her to like immediately at the age of 13 be like yeah you're gonna be like your dad so we're just gonna go ahead and put some precautions in place here so at least you're gonna be safe about it and I feel like if he had just gotten like that love and support that he needed and that they didn't like start you know sexualizing him as a young child like he probably would have been way different yeah because the thing is like of course it's important to like discuss like safe sex practices yeah. with children like that's important like educating your children but that's not the way to go about it you're not gonna say I know you're going to be a little um man whore like your father so I went ahead and here's this uh, jar full of one so you could buy some condoms yeah condom money because you're gonna be a little a little floozy yeah. and he was like mom I'm 13 <laughs> Yeah, um, and so then he was like, I guess I have to use these because everyone just expects it of me. And it's like, God, that is like, so sick. Oh. Yeah, honestly, it's gross. And like, it's disgusting. We'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk about it more towards the end because we have some like thought provoking questions. But it's, it really is a genuine like issue in society. Yes. So we'll get into that. <sighs> Poor Fox, honestly. I know. But and I do love. dad like straight up abandoned him. As yeah. Too. And like the one time he did go to see him, it was like awful. Oh, yeah. And Fox was like, uh, I ain't guy. never coming back here again. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he sucks. He makes me feel unloved and unappreciated. Uh, it made me so sad for Fox. And like after that, like after he talked about like his mom, like flinching every time she sees him and like his dad. The dynamic changes so much after that. And you're just like, you poor, like, baby. You are a victim. Yeah. Like, he was not loved as a child. And then (laughs) he freaking, like, the one time he does think he finds love and, like, basically he's being used as a hall pass. And, like, he just can't catch a break. Like, he wanted to be so productive and he had all these plans. And then, like, just goes up in flames because of how he perceives himself. Yes, because, like, he, like, he hated the reputation that he had, like, around all the people he grew up with, and he was trying so hard to get away from that, and, like, he, when he went to college, he was, like, I have this girl who is interested in me and, like, loves spending time with me, like, this is it, this is what I've been missing, and she's, like, no, like, I'm sleeping with you because you're hot, And my boyfriend said I could have a hall pass for you, which he didn't actually because so Fox is like it was his business partner. Yeah, they were friends and business partners. And her boyfriend did not know that she was sleeping with Fox and Fox did not know that she was dating his friend, which is bizarre to me. Um, 
But yeah, like she was betraying she both him. <laughs> Unfortunately, Fox kind of took the fall for it. Like for some reason, people never blame their significant other. They blame the yeah. person that like they got it happened. cheated on with. Anyway, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I digress. But- um, so some things that we really liked about the book, um, the first one is the texting at the beginning of the book. I love that, like, that was, like, their main form of communication, and, like, it really laid the groundwork for the whole book, kind of set the tone, and, like, you could even tell, like, when they were texting, like, the love that they had for each other, and, like, the comfort that they find in each other, because they both, feel like, yeah. they can't turn to the people they've always talked to in the past. I know because they both have like these insecurities that they're dealing with, but they both feel comfortable, like kind of showing those insecurities to each other, which is interesting because really they didn't know each other super well. They're perfect strangers. They, they developed this relationship over text, like basically after Hannah left Westport, but then the more they like confide in each other, it's, it's becoming a genuine friendship, like over text. And they're like, being vulnerable with each other and sometimes they're even being a little bit flirty and then they kind of like backtrack it they're like oh shit um which is like so cute to me because it's like they're both so like into each other but like low-key afraid that the other was not into them right um but I loved that so much like and then also like how Hannah like relates so much to music which we'll talk more about as well um how she would like describe her day with a song and fox like did that back like that way that they bonded over something that That was so important to her made my heart so full (laughs) it was very very sweet because he just he understands her on such like a deep emotional level and like doesn't even realize it like because i feel like even piper's like yeah hannah's a little weirdo and like we just accept that and he's just like no Like, that's awesome. Like, you're amazing. And I feel like it's something that, like, he had never considered, like, using music as an outlet in that way until Hannah showed that to him. But when she did, he realized how much it, like, was therapeutic to him. And he started doing it on his own and, like, even in in secret from her because it was so meaningful to him. It's just really nice. (laughs) It's very nice. The texts were like making me like giggle. They were, it was just like, like, it felt like you were texting your crush in high school. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So cute. Next thing for me, (laughs) for me, um, this is one of the major reasons I read this book a 10 out of 10. The massage oil scene. I was blushing. So first of all, it's like, it's kind of like two parts because originally like part one is like, him telling her like oh yeah it's I jerked off this morning and yeah and she is like oh because she's you know like I cannot be attracted to this man because we're supposed to be just friends and I am objectifying my friend like she feels so guilty about it but all along that's his fucking plan he's like trying to get her to objectify him to like prove to himself that that's just a piece of shit yeah yeah he's like no like that's that's what I am to women. They don't see me as a friend. Like, like I'm just going to show her that I am an object. And of course, Hannah's like, fuck no. But then when he follows her back and she is like, she's going to go use that massage oil. Like, she is like, I got to. And he's like, I know what you're doing. She's like, our pro-line eye contact is a bit too much for me. <laughs> oh my God. It was like, 
I was blushing so hard. he's like, yeah, I can smell the oil. It's like, (gasps) I know. Can you imagine the embarrassment? But then she's a fucking baddie. He's like, open the door. And she does. And she's like in her bra and panties. And he's like trying to seduce her. She's like, I'm going to hold control of this situation. Yes. And she's like, nope, I'm in control. Like, I'm in charge. Use you for your body. Like you, you are enough. And he's like, no, I'm not like, let me like be an object to you. And she's like, no, it's freaking. That was queen energy. It was. And like, it broke my heart whenever Hannah, it like finally hits her and she just like stops like in her tracks and she is like he is so damaged like this is so much yes deeper of an issue than i thought and she and when she just like holds him and like yeah. like after he spills his feelings and stuff to her and like she literally just stays there and holds him i'm like no one has ever loved you you sweet boy i know because like he needed that so bad he needed an uh. intimacy that was not sexual and he has not had that in his life which is like I can't even imagine like never having intimacy that's not sexual like that doesn't make sense to me like that's so unhealthy right like that's what happened to him it's like just no one hugged you as a child and it shows (laughs) (laughs) hey and some of you guys out there like if that happened to you like it should be okay that that makes you sad because that should make you sad because that's not normal (laughs) yeah we should acknowledge that like your feelings are valid and you probably should intimacy is okay if it's not sexual um yeah you can just like cuddle so okay really quick before the so before the car scene is that when um fox says all those terrible things to her yes that happens before they go to seattle yes okay it happens Mm -hmm. bingo night bingo night yeah we'll get to it later but that part like kills me and i do want to talk about it well we can just talk about bingo night right now let's talk yeah, about bingo let's night. do it so bingo night it's actually not something i liked but i did like the resolution side of it on hannah's mm-hmm. part um so fox says some terrible hurtful things to her like made my stomach drop hurtful yeah. Yeah, do you ever, like, whenever you're reading something and something, like, really sad happens, it, like, literally makes your, like, your stomach drop and you get, like, that heavy feeling shoot through your Yes, I'm just like, wow, that made me (laughs) depressed. Yeah, Um, you can feel it immediately. When Fox tells Hannah it's a good thing they never slept with each other because he would have just left her in the morning, I was just, like, hurt for Hannah. And, like, Hannah handled it so well because she knew like it was just his defense mechanism and like yes it did hurt her but she also knew that he didn't mean it and so the second she gets out of the car to leave and like fox starts chasing after her because he knew he fucked up he was like like, immediately shit the fact that she forgave him but Mm -hmm. then like set those boundaries because he was like let me make it up to you like let me do this for you and she was like no yeah she's like good night i'll give you a kiss and I will see you tomorrow. And like, yeah. that was powerful. That was powerful. Hannah is such an empathetic person. And she is such a good communicator. Because uh, that really hurt her feelings. And she was like, okay, the best thing to do is just remove myself from the situation. Because he didn't mean hurt it. it. <laughs> yeah. And so she immediately gets out of the car. Yeah. She's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to leave. And then whenever, I'm glad he was immediately sorry. Because... 
That yeah. was a Otherwise, terrible thing to say. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a bad way to leave things. But good. Luckily, he was immediately sorry. And so she's like, I know that you're sorry. And I'll see you tomorrow. I do forgive you, but my feelings are hurt. <laughs> yeah, because earlier that night, like at the bingo hall, like he had been so vulnerable with her. He like held her hand under the table. They ended up like making out because again, they have this major chemistry. But but the second puts Hannah up those tried guards to, again. The second Hannah tried to talk to him about it and be like, even if we had slept together, we would still have this conversation. And he was like, why? Yeah. Like, like, why, why do we need to have this conversation? Because he can't fathom that she cares about him beyond having sex. He's like, that does not make sense. I only have one thing to offer to you. And it's physical, like, sexual gratification. And she's like, that is not true. I like, I want to be with you. I love spending time with you. And he's like, that like literally can't be possible. (laughs) she is like he is so damaged so of course what I didn't like is like Fox being mean to Hannah but what I did like is what that meant for their relationship the way Hannah handled it in that development yes because then they go to Seattle the next day and I think that is like a big turning point in the story because Fox makes breakfast for her like she comes out looking like a fucking bombshell and he is just like I like I can't like yeah He's like, like, I know what you're doing. You're trying to make me believe that we can have a real relationship. (laughs) Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, he still is, like, a little bit guarded. Like, at the recording studio, she's like, Fox, if you're jealous, just say that you're jealous. And he's like, fine, I'm jealous. He's like, yeah, I am. (laughs) And she's like, thank you. (laughs) But wait, what? And she's like, okay, but I'm going to play it cool, though, because I don't want to scare him. But she's like, thank you. Yes. Yeah. I I love that turning point because like he realizes like, okay, like there ain't no coming back from this. So might as well just. And then finally, (laughs) at the end of that night, he lets his guard down all the way. And he takes her to the sound garden and he was like, I wanted to bring you here last summer. I have had it bad for you since I fucking met you. I've not been able to stop thinking about you. So, but I didn't want to expose myself. Yes. And it leads to the most beautiful 10 season. pages of absolute steamy content. <laughs> um, it's not, it's not even that cringy. You know, no. just really, yeah, you did this one pretty good. There was a couple things I'm like, eh, we probably should have worded it differently, but like it was a it was good. Yeah, because like for us, um, we mentioned this with it happened one summer. Like, we don't like it when you <laughs> when you call you the, the it, it or thing. Yeah. I don't like that. That little thing is what no. Like, what is it? An alien? No. Like, I'm oh, not what sure what thing we're like referring to yeah I don't like because thing just sounds like like you're scared to say something dirty like it sounds like you're a middle schooler which we know Fox is a very experienced lover yeah it's like you've got her naked just (laughs) yeah like just say what it is please um yeah anyway we've already kind of talked about that but like that was really the only thing in that scene that I was like "Mm." the fucking car scene yeah it is top tier it's beautiful. And it's, it's so perfect. beautiful. It's romantic. It's like storming around them, which is like they know, have like so their fucking like notebook kiss in the rain. Yes. And like, uh yeah. If they make like this one a movie as well, it will be a cinematic masterpiece. She even says like this is like 
a main character like thing that happens like her Which, being kissed in the rain yeah <laughs> happens we'll talk- in princess diaries too oh my god yes and we'll digest that a little bit more as well but yeah like this scene is like the climax of the story like this is it for them this is the turning point which you know what I really liked about this too is that like a lot of her books aren't necessarily slow burns mm-hmm. but like I think she did this like obviously she did this on purpose like because Fox is so dependent on like sexual relationships and the fact that like Tessa Bailey kind of waited to like the end of the book for them to actually get together yeah. like I think like that is just such a good like symbolic representation of like their relationship yeah and how like you know, she didn't let him in, like, intimately like that until she felt confident that he wasn't necessarily, like, viewing himself as just, like, a sexual object to her. Yeah. And that he was able to, like, be very open and, like, accept his feelings towards her. And so, like, I love the way she <laughs> did that. Yeah, because Hannah was like, whenever I sleep with this man, it'll be us making love. It won't be, like, us fucking. Right. And so she waited for that moment. I uh, loved that. It was beautiful. It was like the payoff we all needed. Like, yeah, like the tensions were so high. That whole I know, <laughs> I know, but I loved it because it was like that was what was going on like emotionally between them as well. Because Fox like couldn't like fully give himself over to her until he laid it all out there. And he was like, yeah. I basically I love you and I have loved you and I want to be with you. And she was like, great. Mm. Okay, let's bone. Cute. We talked a little bit about, like, music being, like, a big motivator for Hannah, but I do love that it is just one giant playlist. Like, it's so cute. It sets it, the vibes. It makes it feel more like a movie, too. Yes, and, like, I think I've talked to you about this before, but, like, it reminds me of Nick and Nora's Ultimate Playlist, mm-hmm. um, and in that movie, like, music is, like, the main focus and like basically there's a song for every scene in this movie and that's like the vibes I was getting from this because like basically Hannah thinks about situations in terms of like what music fits best with it like her life is just basically one giant movie soundtrack yeah and like that's what she wants to do so badly in her career and that's what she's working toward and eventually like she has her big break like she makes the soundtrack for this movie that they're filming in Westport which is what she wanted career-wise um and that's so important to her yes and I love that the sea shanties like play such a big role because like with Piper in the first book Piper like always had that connection to Henry and like because she could remember him yeah because she could remember and wanted to make him proud wanted to like continue that legacy but like Hannah struggled with that so hard and I love that the way that she was able to connect with her father was through the music that he left for them yeah because that's such a big part of her life anyway so it was just so perfect another thing that's like that Tessa Bailey just chef's kiss in this book um the miscommunication like resolution in this book is perfect because Fox had been, again, like, he's just still, he's hesitant about, like, actually being with Hannah because he thinks that he's asking too much of her to ask her to, like, come live with him. He's like, I can't, like, have her give up her career. And, like, Hannah's like, no, like, I want to be with you. But anyway, so they have, like, this huge thing. And Fox is like, I can't do this to you. And Fox, when he realizes that he fucked up, he's like, I have lost her. Like, I fucked up so bad like she's gone 
And he frantically is like ready to chase after her, but he walks into the apartment. She's just sitting on the She's floor with a record chilling. player. She's like, oh, you're home. <laughs> Which I think shows like such maturity on Hannah's side. She's like, you asshole. Like, I'm not going to leave you. Like, what do you think we are? Like 10 years old? Like, no, yeah. we're going to talk about this. <laughs> but like, seriously, Fox has like the emotional, like, as far as like romantic maturity, it's, it's really not like something that he's used to is being able to like have a loving relationship with like trust and like communication. So he's like, Oh, for sure. She cannot handle me. She has left me. And Hannah's like, no, he's like, what have I been telling you this whole time? (laughs) And so that for him is, it's just like, so symbolic. I love that. She's like, of course I'm still here. Because if Hannah had pulled what Piper did in the first book and just dipped out to California, Fox would have been like, I respect your decisions. Like, whatever. And that and that, been he's it. like, that shows me that you don't actually want to be with me. And like, why would you? And, and he so, would never love again. No. And it's and so, so funny. Yeah. Because like in the first book, yeah, Brendan is the one with like the emotional maturity and Piper yes. is not. And in the second book, Hannah is the one with the emotional maturity. So it's kind of like a role <laughs> reversal from the first right. Yeah, I love that. It's I love it, too, because it just shows, like, how much they do love each other. And, like, Hannah knows, too, because of the record player. Like, he has the record player and the collection of records, which when they were texting at the beginning of the book, he was like, so what is your type? And she was like, oh, someone who makes me laugh on my worst days. And, of course, like, he needs a cabinet full of records and something to play them on. And so from that moment, Fox started a collection because he wanted to be that man for her. Like subconsciously too. Like I think he was just like, if I could even have just like a sliver of her happiness, like I'll be content with it. And so I'm going to do this. And like, I think that's the whole reason he bought those because like, he obviously didn't think he would ever like have the chance to do that. But like, that was like his one connection to her. He's like, this is what would make her happy. And so I'm going to give that to myself just so I have a piece of her here. I didn't even consider it that way. But that's so true. Because for him, it's like she lives in LA. I'll never see her again, except maybe like on the holidays if she visits Piper. Yeah, he was like, I'll never have her, but I can have this piece of her. Yeah, that, that made me so, so sad. Sweet. Oh my god. Like he I was just them. so content to live like a subpar life yeah. with no love in it because he had that one piece of Hannah. Yeah, and he and was like, gonna he, make it happen. He had been like celibate too. Like he was not even interested in like being with another person physically because he was so emotionally attached to Hannah and felt like it was a betrayal. Yeah. Um, Even though they were not in a relationship, he was like, I value her and respect her so much that I cannot even like physically be with another person right now. Fox is just a whole, like he built different. He is. Even even though he has like a lot of flaws, like, (laughs) like subconsciously his love for her was so beautiful. It was. And like, he worked through those flaws, though. Like, their yeah. relationship was so important to him that he worked through them. Oh, God. I love this book. I love this book. I love this book, and I love this man. And then the epilogue. Oh, like, the epilogue was great. It and, was. like, 
it wrapped everything up so beautifully. And like, I love that it really didn't focus on Brennan and Piper. Like it was yeah. like the Fox and Hannah show. And I love that for them. Yes. But then of course they still like made a nod to yes. Like they're still super close with Brendan and Piper, of course. Right. And like they came over to like hang out and their uh, family was just one big happy family. How um, cute. It was. It was very cute. And also just like the fact that uh, he still <laughs> loves her so much. And yes. And like he was like so protective of her. Like whenever she got home, she was like, um, I need you immediately. And he was like, yep, I'll be right there. Loved it. So there's not like a ton of things we didn't like about the book. Um, Some that I've already kind of talked about is just like a little bit of repetitiveness <clears throat> from Fox's insecurities. But again, I I do understand why they did that because basically that is what was constantly playing in Fox's head. And like he had to just continually remind himself that he was not good enough for her because if he didn't, then he would lose the plot and like do something he would regret, Mm -hmm. which I don't agree with his insecurities. Obviously, trauma does different things to people, but I do like that when Hannah set those boundaries, like he did eventually stop because for a while there, he was just like, no, Hannah, like, let me do this for you. Let me show you that I'm a piece of shit. Like, let me like touch you so that, you know, not to like be with me, but he also respected Hannah's boundaries when she was like, I'm not going to do this with you. Right. Yeah. He definitely like, it was a little bit repetitive, but then you think about like, well, that's pretty realistic because if someone yeah. is working through something like that, like it's going to take time and it's going to take like constant reassurance until they yeah. realize that, oh, this person really is here for me. And so in that way, I think it is realistic. But of course, it's frustrating. It would be frustrating in real life because it's frustrating for him, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And like if you were trying to like love someone through that, like you yourself would probably feel a bit frustrated. Like, why yeah. can't you see yourself the way I see you? Um, so it makes sense to me. But yeah, at times that can be just like a little bit um, repetitive to read because it's like, I just, I want the happy ending. I want the resolution. Um, So it does kind of suck as a reader whenever it's like dangled in front of your face and and pulled away. Another thing that we didn't really like in the second book was like Piper's character was a little uncharacteristic of like how she was portrayed in the first book. So like in the first book, like she was just as much of a supportive sister to Hannah as Hannah was to her. And it feels like in the second book, she was not making time for Hannah while she was in Westport, which I know she like had Brendan's parents over and was like entertaining them. But like Hannah was like going through it. Yeah. Hannah was going through it. And then like whenever they did hang out, um, Hannah was literally helping Piper bond with her in-laws, even though like Piper had been like rushing her off the whole time she was in Westport. It Um, almost made me feel like Piper takes advantage of Hannah being like the backbone of their family. Mm Because it's like if you think back to like the first book, like Hannah bails her out of jail. Hannah moves to a different state. Like Hannah's the one who keeps the bar running when Piper has like a mental breakdown and like, like just does it without even like thinking about it because that's Hannah. And so like whenever it comes time for like Hannah to need Piper, Piper's not there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And like Piper's basically just like, no, stay away from this dude. Like what, like what are you doing? Like, like nothing like she's not listening like she's not supportive and like that just sucks to see it because Hannah would have been there for Piper regardless of any decision she made like Piper cannot be a supporting actress when it's needed of her and that kind of goes back to like Hannah's whole thing that we'll talk a little bit more 
uh, about, but it's like, okay, Hannah was the supporting actress for Piper, but now when Hannah's the leading lady, where's her sister? Right. She's not there. And like, I'm sure that's not what Tessa Baylook intended, but it just, I don't know. It felt like her character almost like regressed because. It did. It felt out of place to me. I was like, that's not, that's, that's not, not Piper. Piper. <laughs> and then uh, like, and same with Brendan. Yeah. Wait, where was Brendan? Where the fuck was he when he wasn't so, pressuring Fox? <laughs> yeah. Like we literally only saw him when he was like, yeah, get over yourself and you're going to take over the Della Ray. And Fox is like, no dog, like I'm good. And he's like, well, I'm going to keep pushing you. Cause that's what I do. I'm a pusher. Yeah. I don't know. Like, because, like, with Fox, like, in the first book, Fox is basically the one who tells Brendan to, like, get his head out of his ass. And, like, it was really crazy coming from him because he's not, like, a person who knows much about love, but he knows Brendan. And so he was yeah. able to be like, man, like, you know, this is what you want. And, like, you know, this is not just, like, a fling. So just freaking go for it. And then you have Brendan who's like, if you touch him, I'm going to kill you. And it's so funny because in the first book, whenever Fox was giving Brendan that advice, it was all coming from a a place of how he felt for Hannah. Yes. He was like, oh, well, you know, every woman's different, but just do something meaningful to her. Like, I don't know. There's a a record convention in Seattle. Like, I don't know. Maybe like, maybe Hannah would like that. I don't know. (laughs) But like, it's like, this is a point, but like, (laughs) but like, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe call her and see if she's busy this weekend. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Was, I feel like, like obsessed with Hannah from the get. And yeah, and I just feel like Piper and Brendan were just like off in their own little world, and they're just like, "Yeah, you'll figure it out." Yeah, and then it's so funny that Brendan is like, "Don't even touch Hannah. Like, you couldn't possibly care about her." When literally in the first book, Fox was showing every sign of caring about Hannah. Yeah, like took her to a convention, like left her like. Uh, freaking vinyls that she wanted like and everyone was just like ah oh, you freaking dirty dog you everyone's like, like quit trying to sleep with her and he's like I'm just I'm not her <laughs> and like that made me so sad too like fuck his co-workers honestly like they're just like you're telling me you're passing up on like sleeping with some hot chick and fox is like yeah dude like yeah, I don't want to do like- that and they're like are you sick <laughs> I know it's so gross to me because like if there are men who think that way it's like of course I would never pass up on an opportunity to to sleep with someone who's attractive then there's something wrong with you because like yeah it's like not he's trying to change and you're making it very hard yeah and like believe it or not like he does have feelings and he's like Yeah. yeah like I'm not interested because I have feelings for someone and they're like, what the fuck? That's literally fuck? not even possible. They're like, I hate my wife. What the fuck? Sanders. <laughs> Your wife's a bitch, man. Yeah. It's like, man, my my wife makes me want to kill myself every day. I don't know what you're talking about. You're trying like, to why would you love. try to lock it down, man? Yeah. Um, That's on you, buddy. Disgusting. Ugh. So there is some <clears throat> symbolism in the book as well. Um, like we talked about with the leading lady supporting actress thing. I kind of liked it because like I said, Hannah's life is one big movie in her eyes because she's a little yeah. bit <laughs> out of touch with reality. I don't know. Because <laughs> she's um, not like other girls. She's not like other girls. But um, in a good way, in a lovable way. 
And so, like, she starts off, like, I mean, the first part of the book is her, like, being very self-conscious and, like, not overly confident. And she's, like, trying to bring stuff up to Sergey. And she's like, but if you hate it, like, I totally understand because I'm an idiot. So it's like. <laughs> and then just trips and falls and hits her head. On yeah. The and then, like, just eat shit on a bus. <laughs> um, and so I really loved seeing the progression of her, like, talking about, like, what leading ladies do and then slowly becoming, like, what she always envisioned a leading lady yeah. is but she couldn't have done that without fox because fox is like what are you even talking about like yeah you've been like this the whole time you just needed to be more confident exactly and it's ironic because the same applies to fox but he can't see it that way no um but yeah like that's such a a good like symbol throughout the book as well as like the whole like soundtrack to her life again it symbolizes that her life is one big movie and she is actually the leading lady. Like it is, you know, very, um, it feels like reading this book feels like watching a movie, yes. which, you know, obviously books and movies are both like stories, but usually when I'm reading a book, I'm not like considering it to have like movie vibes. And this one, it was like, oh no, absolutely. You're watching a rom-com right now because yeah. of like these elements that Tessa Bailey incorporated. And so I think that's- Which she's so cool, good at doing. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a really creative way to write her book. And I think it it played the part that she wanted it to. It was effective. Yeah. It was really good. Um, <clears throat> so something new that we're going to start doing is coming up with almost some like book club styled questions to go over because there are a lot of- like aspects of the book that we want to focus on and like kind of relate those to like real life situations. And so we're going to start doing this with every episode in place of the synopsis. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also a good way for you guys to kind of get involved with it too, because these are, you know, genuine things that we've thought about as we read these books. Yeah. And we want you guys to like share your opinions with us too, about like these questions. Um, you can email us at the sisters warden at gmail.com and um, definitely like let us know what you think about these conversations because I think they're important. Yes. Um, so the first question is, what do you think plays the biggest role in Fox's perception of masculinity? And how do you think men in today's society are affected by these things? Um, so that is like an ongoing theme throughout this book is that from a young age, Fox was over-sexualized and like basically there was a stigma against him that he was going to be a player and that like that was all he was ever going to be. And so even like his teachers were like, oh yeah, watch out for that Fox. Like he mm-hmm. is going to break your heart. And his mom even calls him her little heartbreaker. And so yeah. like things were just like against him this whole time. And I think because that was like hammered into him from such a young age that is what fox's perception of masculinity became um like if he's passing up on sleeping with these women if he is you know not providing that um pleasure to other women then like what even is he as a man like if he can't do that then what does he have to offer right because like especially because he is a very um conventionally attractive man which plays a large role in this like like narrative that's been pushed on him and so like the men in his life like his co-workers who maybe are less conventionally attractive and they're like man if I looked like you like I'd be eating that shit up like I'd be sleeping with a different woman every weekend like and so like other men's perception of masculinity as well like further like pushes this like snowballs this 
And which I think like that's that's a real thing. Like locker room talk, you know. Yes. Lack of a better term. It's like, yeah, like of course I'd I'd hit that, I'd tap that man, because I'm I'm a manly man. I'm Which is so disgusting too, because basically what they're saying Mm -hmm. is if they were hot, they would not have settled down with their wives and they'd be players. Yeah. It's like, man, if I looked like you, like, fuck my wife. She's disgusting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch her with a 10 foot pole. Like you need. It's like, psychological that's terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. And of course I am not saying that every man thinks this way. This is very much like what I think we as society have termed toxic masculinity. Like, yes. And it does affect every man in society, but not every man obviously thinks Acts this way. Acts on it. Yeah. But yeah, like it is like if a man does like stand up for themselves and say like no, like I respect women and like I love a woman and like he's called a simp or a pussy or yeah. like you know, he's seen as less <laughs> of a man. And I unfortunately think that like media plays a big role in that as well. Like you see it on TikTok <clears throat> a lot. And like TikTok yeah. is toxic as fuck. It is. And- And so, like, you'll see, like, this super hot dude and, like, everybody is fucking, like, simping hard over this man and, like, going absolutely feral for, like, these men. And then the second they, like, settle down, like, oh, well, it's not going to last because, like, you know how he is. Like, he'd never settle down or, like, I don't know why he'd be with somebody like that. Like, do you see how he looks? And it's, like, that is so disrespect that I see on TikTok. Especially with mixed weight couples. Yeah, so I don't know. Like Alicia. Follow- and- Alicia. Yes. yes. And I cannot remember her husband's name, but Alicia, is it Car- McCarvel? I can't remember her last Alicia name. Alicia Carvel. Carvel. So wonderful, bright spot on my For You She page. and her husband are incredible. They're hilarious. They're such a cute couple. And they're literally just out there living their lives, man. And because they're a mixed weight couple, Alicia is a plus size woman and her husband is He's more like a bodybuilder, a fit, like, yeah, muscular bodybuilder type. Um, people are just absolutely disgusting in the comments, disrespectful, saying like, there's no way he's faithful to her. Why would he be yeah, with like, she must because have been like loves- hot when they first got married, like, Which- uh, Alicia actually used to be a bodybuilder. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but she used to be yeah. a bodybuilder. And it was, she was actually much less healthy than she is today. Mm-hmm. And because so it's such a negative mindset. And like, yes. and she talks about that. She literally points out to people that, like, I used to be so skinny to the point of being unhealthy. And people were like, no, obviously you were healthier then. And she's like, no. I'm literally telling you I was not. And they just cannot fathom it. So that's like a whole other layer of it is like the um, misogyny, you know, towards women also contributes to this like type of like, like if you're hot, like you can't like, and I say this with quotations, you can't like date down. Yes, yes. But that's not what he's doing. But it's like, that is what they're basically trying to say is that like, if you're hot and you date anybody who is also not like, the ideal like woman that people have created in society like what are you even doing yes it cannot 
people cannot fathom it. And women do this too. They'll be in the comments being disrespectful. Like, why are you with her? Like you could be with me, baby. Like, no, yeah, it's just because like, no one likes you or you're not to. helping anything. <laughs> no. And it's, uh, yeah. Like you see that so much in media and it's so disgusting and it makes me really, really sad for, you know, people who are like actually in love with each other and like, yeah. You see that a lot in this book, too, because they're just like, Hannah, like, you're such, like, a girl next door. Like, what are you doing with somebody like him? Yeah, and it's like, they're like, come on, you could fiddle down with someone who who treats you right. And it's like, why do you do Why do you that? think you wouldn't treat her right? Like, <laughs> yeah, because they're Fox even says, like, I can't be with you, Hannah, because I could not live with hearing all the talk about people like just waiting for me to fuck up and cheat on you. Like, I could not listen to that. Yeah, or put you through so that, sad. and so it's like something that fucks that society, people and their relationships, and that it's terrible. Know. Yeah. Second <clears throat> question is: Would you describe yourself as a leading lady or a supporting actress? And who in dis- who in society do you consider to be a leading lady? So I think that's a kind of like a a loaded question. Yeah, one hundred percent because. Like, the idea of being, like, a leading lady, like, main character energy, like, I feel like it's not always necessarily, like, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it definitely, um, it can be <laughs> unhealthy. <laughs> like, we don't want you to be, like, a narcissist or anything. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, like, for myself, I probably like, I think I'm a supporting. Describe, yeah, I would describe myself as a supporting actress as well. But it's interesting because, like... I think the only thing that makes me say that is because I'm like, well, my life isn't like interesting enough to be considered like a main character story. So I'm like, I am boring in my mind. So I'm like, that makes me a supporting actress. But But it does it. But yeah, like when you think about it, like you are the main character in your own story. So doesn't that automatically make everyone kind of the leading lady of their own story? Yeah. And it's like, when I think of like myself, like I think of myself as a supporting character because like, I'm definitely the one to like hype somebody else up about something, but like, don't always necessarily get that from anyone else. Yes. And it's like, I will hype people up like left and right. But then whenever it comes time for me in that position, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's like, why would I do that? It's like, I'm not I literally just like made someone do something they weren't comfortable with because they needed that like confidence. But then I don't have that for myself. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And I try, I try to like work on like positive self-talk and stuff. That's something that's like, um, been kind of an ongoing thing for me, uh, is like kind of changing the way that I talk to myself, which I think a lot of people, you know, their insecurities, um, kind of lead them to be like, a kind of their own worst critic and a little bit of a bully to themselves, which can decrease your confidence. And so that's where I feel like the main character supporting actress thing gets a little iffy because it's like, you start comparing yourself to people who like do live that like main character type life. And I feel like that can be very unhealthy because right. it's like, just because mm-hmm. they are living a different life than you are, doesn't mean you're not getting that same fulfillment that you need. The second part of the question, who in society do you consider to be a leading lady? For me, it's people who are like centered, like in media somehow. 
like influencers or uh, celebrities. Like those are leading ladies in my mind, but it's like, what makes them a leading lady? Like just the fact that they're getting like all this attention right, um, and support because it's like, well, yeah, like that's part of their job, I guess. But also like, I think what we've kind of learned as the years go on with like how long it's not all up to be at the forefront. Yeah. It's like their lives, um, the way that they portray them online are often not actually like that in reality. Like I bet I'm getting more for fulfillment out of my life than they are with theirs because of the stuff that they have to deal with, with like what comes with them being like popular. There's definitely a good chance that, yeah, like you might have a more like sound mental health than someone who is quote unquote popular or a leading lady because they have um, to kind of then shoulder that extra like everyone's like giving them opinions about their own life and they're like, well, this is all like negative. This is all criticism. So it might be like negatively affecting their mental health. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's a very like dangerous line to like cross there. Cause it's like, yeah. you shouldn't compare yourself to someone else because they are living like a different life. Yeah. And it's also like, it's weird to me that like people want to be famous because I try to think about like myself in that situation And it's, like, the lack of privacy, Mm -hmm. I think, would be such an uncomfortable thing for me. And, like, I just – I can't even imagine, Mm -hmm. like, how uncomfortable that would be. So it's it's interesting to me that um, people kind of seek that out. But it's probably just, like, a difference in personality, honestly. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting, for sure. Yeah. There's Um, probably a lot of – psychological like analysis that people yeah, people sorry. who are qualified to do that kind of thing could do but not not me. us <laughs> it ain't us we just have opinions and they may not be correct <laughs> um, uh, so our next question is about the epilogue so why do you think that every happily ever after epilogue results in them getting married and having children And do you think there's an undertone of societal expectations in rom-com endings that focus on a nuclear family? Yes. Um, (laughs) Short answer, yes. Yes, I do. So I've been thinking about this question a lot since last night when we wrote it. Um, (laughs) A long time. You could say like at least 10 hours. For sure. Um, So I do like the epilogue aspect of a book like I love seeing everything tied up and I love seeing that they do get their happily ever after Mm -hmm. I just think it's weird that every single happily ever after ends up with them like doing like a traditional lifestyle yeah because it's like you'll read some crazy books about like the most unstable like living environments and like the most unstable like maybe toxic couples that like end up staying together and then it's like but they get their happily ever after and now they have five kids and they got <laughs> and it's like blah, are their blah. kids okay and it's like I feel like maybe that wasn't the play because like they're kind of dealing with a lot like yeah. when we left off there like some stuff wasn't un- like resolved and like with rom-coms it's a little bit different because normally after you have like that miscommunication trope um 
like there is like the resolution and they do live happily ever after and so Mm -hmm. I just I feel like it is like heavily based on like societal norms that everybody when they meet like the love of their life the next natural progression is to get married and to have children right but like that's not everyone's lifestyle and I feel like they should do better about like adding some variety to it because not everyone wants kids like not everyone wants to have like that nuclear family exactly and that's something that like because me personally kids are not on my radar anytime soon and it's like maybe in the future like we're talking way out like maybe but it's like for me like the way I picture my life right now kids are not in it and so And I know a lot of women feel the same way. And for me, like, I did want to get married. I am, like, happily married. So, like, that part, yes, I did want to get married. But, like, some people might not even want to do that. Like, maybe they just want to be with that person but not have, like, a a legal... The expectations of marriage. Yeah, like, who knows? And so it's, like, interesting that there's no variety in happily ever after. So, like, well, obviously they got married and obviously they have two and a half kids. And it's like, mm. <laughs> I just don't know about that because I feel like women already kind of deal with that kind of pressure anyway. And so like to have like no representation of like any other type of happily ever after is just a little bit disheartening to me because also like I hate the pregnancy trope and I know you Same. do too. Yeah. But another thing is like in epilogues when it's like, oh yeah, all of a sudden they have children. I'm like, whoa. Whoa. Like, okay. Ew. (laughs) Gross. Well, and, like, it makes me think of, too, like, especially with, like, the insta-love type tropes, it's, like, you get to the epilogue, and it's, like, three months later, and they're, like, engaged, and it's, like, I just, I don't understand it. It's, like, Like, what about, like, them, like, starting a life together? What about them, like, you know, maybe, like, actually dating or, like, living with each other or something like that? Like, yeah. Or, like, maybe they took a dope-ass vacation together and they're somewhere really romantic. It's just, like, like with the Spanish love deception, it's, like, they've known each other. They've known each other, but they didn't actually fall in love with each other until they went to Spain. Mm -hmm. And they get back and he immediately is, like, yeah, I want you to, like, move in with me and, like, all this shit. And then they have their miscommunication and then they get back together and then it's, like, six months later and they're like married which we talked about that like when we covered the book but like yeah they are such an emotionally unstable couple yeah um which I can't wait to read the American roommate experiment so good so much better yes and so I can't wait to read it and discuss that one but yeah like for me the Spanish love deception was not it I was like this is not realistic to me this is not it was not cute it was not cute to me I was like, this is not going to result in a good, healthy start to a marriage. Um, Maybe they'll stay together, but like, they're going to have to work through some shit. Yeah. And it's like, you just had like the world's worst, like miscommunication to the point where like someone fled to a different state. (laughs) And it's like, he was visiting his dying dad. No, no, no. I know. But like, not even that, like with like, or it happened one summer, like she left. Like, she just left. Mm -hmm. It's like, what makes you think 
like three months is gonna make a difference what if she yeah. gets scared again she's just gonna leave. like I don't know because they were like I'm so sorry baby I fucked up and they're, and they're it's like oh it's okay baby let's get married okay like let's get married that is like that is the next natural progression that makes sense absolutely no yeah. how about you you know get to know each other perhaps I don't know yeah and so I think that is like the reason why it's so unrealistic is because like with rom-coms a lot of times like there is that insta love like someone just meets a handsome stranger and they're they fall in love over the course of like three months like and that's fine but just be in a committed relationship for a little bit see how it goes maybe experience some some life struggles together before you decide to uh get legally married i would just like love to see a book that transpires over the course of like years and that's what i we're gonna do this book eventually but that's what i like about people we meet on vacation is Mm -hmm. that like this book takes place it's like a friends to lovers type thing and so it's taken place over the course of like 10 years yeah and i love that shit I love um, that too because it's like okay that makes sense to me that's something that I can fathom as yeah. a person in reality <laughs> right it's not just like yeah I've lived next door to this person I've watched them through my window for the past yeah. year never talked to him though but we're getting married next month and like do not get me wrong I do absolutely like I'm still gonna eat that shit up <laughs> yeah like you know like those like marriage of convenience books where it's like I love that shit. I love that I love that but it's like I do have to like suspend my disbelief a little bit because it's the same to me as reading a fantasy novel it's like it's not real. it's not the same if it's a mafia novel you know like <laughs> that's different like, well that's it is that's different. not real that's made up the mafia doesn't exist <laughs> the mafia does exist and the marriage of convenience I don't know why but I am willing to overlook that in those particular situations no, but not in a rom-com same because it's like a rom-com is supposed to be more about like your average joe you know what I mean yeah and so it's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to, like, believe this? <laughs> because it's like, hey, freaking Aaron and Lena, they were just, like, office coworkers. Like, you hated each other and then, a month ago. And it's like, here's your most average people. And they're like, yes, immediately I'm in love. Also, he's a surprise billionaire. And she's like, bet, we're definitely She's like, okay, this. well, you should have led with that, baby. <laughs> like, where have you been? Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. It's whatever. <laughs> Anyways, we just want to see more variety in the epilogues. Yeah. And maybe that's all I'm asking. More, like, if we're going to be, like, Maybe, like, less children and, like. Yeah. Less children, I think, like, guess what? Children, they're fine. They're great if you have them. But, like. I don't have them and I don't want to read about them every time. I don't care about them. Like, yeah, like you guys, you have plenty of books where they end up having kids and that's great. But where's, where's my representation? I want, yeah, like I want where's to see the people dog like mom me. Epilogue. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Um, so next question is, what do you think Hannah, or sorry, why do you think Hannah felt guilty about not having her own memories of Henry? Yeah. That's a tough question, too, because, like, part of it, I think, is because Piper was old enough to be able to remember some things about Henry, but Hannah couldn't. There was probably a little bit of a... Like, resentment? Yes, a resentment and an envy that came with that, which probably she felt guilty about, because it's like, well, why should I wish that my sister has no memories of our dead father? Because that's fucked up. So that probably led to some feelings of guilt. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, you see this a lot too. I th- I'm going to reference TikTok again, but like you see a lot of people who like will talk about like being in like the dead dad club, which is sad. Yeah. Um, and like, they're all kind of in the same boat where it's like, I don't really know anything about him, but it's like, I miss him, but also I mm-hmm. don't because I don't know who this person is. And yeah. I feel like that would be so hard to like come to terms with. Right. And like, I do like that they eventually connected you know, through music and she was able to see the love that he had for their family. But I also don't think it's wrong if she never did find that connection because yes, he is her father, but also like that's a perfect stranger to her. And so I don't like her mom obviously doesn't want to think about it and like never really made it a big part of their life. And like maybe if she had, she would have that connection with him, but it just wasn't like an important thing to their mom to like pass on to them. That's the thing too, is like they grew up like not ever hearing anything from their mom about it. But then whenever Hannah meets Opal and Opal is always telling her all the stories about Henry and Hannah immediately is uncomfortable because yeah. she feels like she like doesn't ah, want to see Opal. I, yeah. And she's like, I know I'm supposed to have these emotions, but I don't. And then she feels bad about that, which is like, I mean, I understand where it's coming from, but it's not necessary. And I also think that's why Hannah and Opal have such a different relationship than Piper and Opal. Yeah. Because like with Piper, she's able to see like aspects of herself but also aspects of her father and opal and that like ties her to him and she was a really big part of it happened one summer but in hook line and sinker we only see opal once and it's when she gives hannah henry's music and like i think that is huge as well because like hannah doesn't have that tie like piper does and so it's not going to be like a leading thing in her book because it's not really like an important aspect of like who she is. Like she doesn't have anything she's trying to like remember or like reconcile with. Yeah. But then it's so sweet that whenever like Fox sings that song for her so she can hear it and she realizes how much love Henry had for her and her family, like it means the world to her to like know that. I think it's also special that Fox sang it to her because I think she can feel the love he has for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop. That's so by sweet. him like singing those <laughs> songs. I don't know. I just, no, you're right. I feel like Hannah's guilt, like it's, it's brought on by herself and like her comparing herself to Piper. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes back to like her like self-confidence thing. I don't yeah. feel like she necessarily should have to feel like guilty about not knowing yeah. him. <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense that she has those feelings, but they're not like like feelings that she deserves to have. No. And I'm glad that she's able to like reconcile them. Yeah. But I also think that kind of brings <laughs> us to the next question about Hannah's family. And so why why do you think Hannah never thinks of her mom and stepfather during this book? Um in the first book, it's evident that Piper thinks of them a lot. Um, so why why do you think, or like, what do you think this says about Hannah's relationship with them? Yeah. So to me, that kind of signifies that Hannah is a much more independent person mm-hmm. because like she, at the time of, that this book takes place, she is still living in their home because like, you know, they are able to financially support her. They're just very well off financially. And so that's like the type of dynamic their family has. So she is yeah. still living with them in LA at the time. 
but she doesn't rely on them the way that Piper does. Like Piper would spend money irresponsibly when she lived in LA. She did not have her own job or make her own money. Whereas Hannah, she used her connections to get a job. (laughs) She used her connections to get a job, but then also didn't want anyone to know whose daughter she was. So the only person who knew, I think was Sergey, but he didn't treat her any differently because she was like, look, I want to, I want to like, I think he honestly probably forgot. Yeah. He was like, yeah, I mean, fine. You, whatever. Um, But she was like, I want to succeed on my own and be this independent person. And she had told Piper in hook, line and sinker that she was even thinking of moving into her own place when she returned to California, Mm -hmm. which of course didn't end up happening because she and Fox fell in love. But she, I just think is a much more independent person. No, and also, like, I feel like, obviously, her relationship with her stepdaughter is going to be way different than Piper's is because, like, that's the only dad Hannah's ever known. True. And so, like, it's just, like, normal for her, whereas, like, Piper has, like, kind of a hard time, like, reconciling the two. Um, And, like, Mm -hmm. she does, I don't think she necessarily has, like, a good relationship with her stepfather just because she kind of acted out. Yeah, she Um, did. (laughs) <laughs> and, like, Hannah is just, like, yeah, whatever. Like, that's my dad, whatever. Um, but, like, I think her relationship with her mom compared to Piper's is so different, too. Because yeah. it's, like, Piper loves her mom and, like, talks about her a lot and, like, just holds her into a very high regard. But Hannah does not mention them, like, a single time mm-hmm. in this book. And so, like, I think it's kind of the same with Fox. Like, he has, like, a very weird relationship, like, with his parents, and so does Hannah. And I think that's why they do end up relying on each other so much, because they don't have anyone else to turn to. Yeah. Um, with, like, Piper and Brendan being together, like, they don't have those great relationships with their parents. And so they yeah. found, like, comfort like, in each other. And Piper and Brendan were so, like, wrapped up in each other that they weren't, like, fully supportive of their sister and friend anymore like right that was kind of lacking for Hannah and Fox and so that's another reason why they like turn to each other so much for comfort and Mm -hmm. friendship um and obviously it ended up working out because they they fell in love and that's very sweet I just think it's sad that like they don't have that same support it is that they gave to their siblings like their parents yeah but I do think that like the epilogue kind of like makes a nod towards like things like being more yeah for sure more like like structurally sound in all of their relationships with each other because piper and brendan like again with the insta love and like they're they're a little bit toxic dynamic like each other's butts like (laughs) yeah like they probably were like really needing to focus on themselves to make it work like to be honest Um, no i just felt like hannah just had a very relation like very different relationship yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think that Hannah is like personality wise, she's a lot more independent and like strong Mature. on her own than Piper was. And for Piper sure. did develop, but yeah, she still was a little bit uh, dependent for sure. But, but that kind of wraps up those those questions, which we plan on doing for every book now since we are. Um, going to focus more on discussing the book rather than summarizing it. 
Join us next mini-sode and we, as we kick off spooky season, so it's going to be October 3rd, um, and so we are going to be reading and discussing scary stories to tell in the dark, which we're very, very excited about. It's going to be a two-part mini-sode, um, and then we are also going to be covering this month The Cat and Mouse Duet by H.D. Carlton. Um, these books are a horror thriller series about a stalker romance. Yes, and we freaking like love them. There's like ghosts and spooky vibes vibes but also like real life kind of real life shit goes down (laughs) Um, here (laughs) so yeah and then we will also be celebrating on halloween october 31st with the one and only rl stein as we each cover our own favorite goosebumps book we're we're so excited our favorite so we are so excited tabby and i love halloween we love spooky season and we are so excited to make things a little creepy So join us there. And as always, let's get lit. Let's get lit.